I don't like the term bossing it. I don't like the term nailing it. I don't like hustle. I don't like those those words that impose that stress on us and sort of say, do you know what? You've just got to keep being productive 24-7 no matter what and you'll get there because I'd argue that sometimes that might be right for you and other times in your life it really isn't. It's just not sustainable. It's almost like when you're thinking about driving a car, you know, there's sometimes when you want to accelerate a bit and there's sometimes when you just want to be in the slow lane. That is the voice of Anarchy Somerville, a brilliant author, journalist and podcaster whose own fascinating life experience has taught her how to prioritise that elusive work-life balance. I'm Liz Earle and this is the Liz Earle Wellbeing Show, the podcast helping us all to have a better second half. And as I've said before, I'm on a bit of a mission to find ways for us all to thrive in later life by investing in our health and our well-being today. Well, I'm really looking forward to this chat with Anarchy, not least because I have followed my own passion for most of my working life. And in fact, the only time I didn't was actually the least happy and fulfilling time of my career, more of which later. And finding balance in all things is always so important if we're going to be successful in anything, whether that's work related or how we manage our home life. And have you found that your confidence in achieving the right balance has maybe shifted over the years? I know that mine did during what I now know to be my perimenopausal journey, something I was completely oblivious to at the time in my mid-40s and so wish that I had been made more aware of as being the root cause of my fluctuating emotions, both at work and at home. And I think that right now we are learning so much more about the physical effects stress can have on our bodies too. So with that in mind, finding work and purpose that brings us happiness and satisfaction rather than making us miserable and anxious shouldn't be a luxurious optional extra. It's actually critical for our ultimate health. Well, Anarchy hosts the How to Be a Boss at Aging podcast and has now written The Big Quit a manifesto for those who are fed up with their work-life balance and desperate for change. So how is work culture changing and how might we want work to change as we age? everyone, it's Jen and Jess from the beauty podcast, Fat Mascara, here to talk about Sol de Janeiro. So many of the beauty experts we interview on our show say that the key to great skin is to treat every inch of your body with the same attention you give your face. One of our favorite ways to do that is with Sol de Janeiro's Beja Flor Elastic Cream, a rich body cream that's clinically proven to boost collagen and has been shown to improve skin crepiness on the chest in just two weeks. Plus, it's scented with Sol de Janeiro's Charosta 68 fragrance. Sol de Janeiro is offering you 10% off your first order on soldejanero.com and free shipping with the code ACAST10. That's S-O-L D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O soldajanero.com and use the code ACAS10 for 10% off. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Anarchy, welcome. And there was a very personal journey that brought you to the point where you felt you had to write this book, The Big Quit. It involves 18 years of, quote, bossing it or nailing it, in your quotation marks, at a global market research company. But you were spending your days in tears, necking painkillers just to get through it all. What's your own experience taught you about what we should be aiming for at work? Um, oh, it's so right, Liz. Even even with you actually mentioning the sort of tears and the kind of painkillers, it's taken me back to that place. But I guess um, one of the things that had happened to me was I'd never really thought um, in a logical way about where I wanted to go in terms of work. So I kind of drifted into a career and found myself kind of climbing up 
I suppose, the conventional kind of success ladder and looking for more kind of materialistic rewards and hoping that at some point my work kind of life would fall into some sense of balance. I didn't realise, and it's only really, it's interesting that you said that with the benefit of hindsight, you can kind of identify when you were most unhappy. And I think similarly, it was only when I kind of came out of those 18 years that I reflected and thought, goodness, I really was very unhappy and had an awful lot of anxiety. And I think in those days, people didn't really talk about anxiety. So I just, I thought that was completely normal. And I suppose I used things like taking painkillers, for example, to try and numb some of those feelings. Um, And certainly when I look at it now, a lot of the headaches that I was suffering from were really my body just telling me, you know, this is not sustainable. Um, My job kind of involved a lot of international travel. So we would do a full day at work and then we would often fly to a different market and then do focus groups and moderate those groups in the evening, maybe finish at 11 or 12 at night and then get up in the morning and fly off again. It was funny because I was talking to a journalist who used to work at the Sunday Times and she was saying, yes, her her work life had been very similar in terms of the intensity. And the kind of expectation was very much that you needed to demonstrate how effective you were by presenteeism. You know, the person who could sort of stay in the office the longest was the winner. And I think one of the One of the much better changes I've seen in kind of work life has been hopefully a move away from that because I can absolutely not see the point in people sort of sitting in their desks needlessly just because they're hoping to win some sort of invisible competition with the person who sat next to them. Um, I really hope we can move away from that. So ultimately, yes, it did. It it took me a long time. And I suppose that's partly why I wrote the book was I was kind of like, goodness, it took me so long to realise I was on the wrong path. I hope some people who read it might be able to almost fast, you know, fast track themselves into a better mindset, because I just wish that I'd realised that I had a bit more of a sense of agency over my career than I did. Yeah, interesting. So your work then was having a, a very detrimental effect on both your physical and your mental health? Absolutely. Um, and interestingly, I, I think like many women in particular, actually, we tend to have quite a critical voice inside, a critical narrative. And and that comes from all sorts of places. It may come from a particular teacher who said something quite harsh to us. It may come from a parent. It may come from, you know, a boss, you know, very early on, I sort of experienced someone who was just very outspoken in their kind of criticism of me. And I internalized a lot of those narratives. And I basically was always quick to jump on the fact that I was kind of not good at something. And I was very bad at acknowledging the things that I was good at. And so a lot of the things that I've written about in the book are kind of as women, and certainly by the time we get to sort of our 40s and 50s, we need to really celebrate our successes and get much better at doing that because we're so good at picking out the things that we've done wrong. You know, and I have friends yes. who they'll go for a job interview and they'll say, I'll say, how did it go? And they'll go, oh, you know, I don't think I was wearing quite the right thing. Or I think I made a bit of a faux pas because I was a bit too kind of informal at the beginning. And I'm like, but what about the things that went right? And why are we always programmed to because actually I'd argue that in order to perform effectively at work you really need to have that self-belief and I'm sure you agree with that because you've you've managed to do such amazing things in your life and you have to one of the battles is kind of trying to hush that critical voice down a little bit yes yeah absolutely yeah well thank you for that do you think that there's a general feeling amongst women particularly that we should work hard you know given the struggle it took to even gain us the right to do so at all yes I do and I I think that can be quite a damaging construct so we kind of we can have these perfectionist tendencies and we sort of believe I think in the 80s we had this narrative about you know Shirley Conran wrote the book The Superwoman and sometimes that was misinterpreted because actually her idea was that you couldn't do it all she didn't sort of say that you could but I think people interpreted it as you can have a very successful career family life relationship with your partner social life you can have you know a, a good balance and I think actually we inherited that belief system and and certainly I'm sort of Gen X I suppose in terms of my sort of life stage. And I, I I suppose I've come to realise that I can't have it all at the same time. And there's going to be certain times I had children quite late in life. So I had children in my 40s. And so I've kind of acknowledged now that actually I can't 
have a really kind of super hectic, super intense career and have a three-year-old at home and be going through perimenopause at the same time if I want to, you know, keep my sanity. And so I really want to move towards this idea. And that's why I hate terms like, I don't like the term bossing it. I don't like the term nailing it. I don't like hustle. I don't like those those words that impose mm. that stress on us and sort of say, do you know what? You've just got to keep being productive 24-7, no matter what, and you'll get there. Because I'd argue that sometimes that might be right for you. And other times in your life, it really isn't. It's just not sustainable, you know. Um, so it's almost like when you're thinking about driving a car, you know, there's sometimes when you want to accelerate a bit. And there's sometimes when you just want to be in the slow lane. And I think that's a little bit what quiet quitting is about, is that right. that notion that you're almost sort of just doggy paddling in your career for a while because you acknowledge that there's other facets of your life which are giving you a lot of uh, work and activity. Because let's face it, you know, parenting is a job, isn't it? Looking after elderly parents is a job. Caring for somebody is a job. You know, all the kind of domestic admin is another job. So I'd, I'd love women to really reflect and just take a moment and think about what do they want from work right now? And that is not forever, because that's the other thing is where you are at the moment in terms of your relationship with work. It might change in five years if you've got children and they're a bit older or if your relationship has changed. You know, your priorities are shifting. So we need to have much more of that growth mindset I believe. Very true and so if we're acknowledging then that working ourselves to the bone outside the home perhaps to gain money or social status shouldn't be the aim of work how do we then begin to go about discovering what the work we love actually is? Yeah I mean it's a really interesting one um, I think one of the best things to do is actually be quite pragmatic about it and Right, I'm I'm a big fan of kind of writing things down on paper and actually write almost two columns. So write kind of, I mean, I, I, I use a, a little bit of swearing in the book. So I sort of say, you know, write your kind of your your absolutely shit job, you know, your job that you really would not enjoy. And then you'll actually learn a lot more about what is your not so shit job or what is your better job. So I think for for me, for example, on my list, the things that sort of I absolutely don't want at the moment would be a really long commute, absolutely having to be in the office, you know, at all times, a lack of flexibility sort of around, you know, childcare or having to dash off at the last minute. I don't want something that has no creativity in it at all. You know, so I sort of put a list together. And actually, because I think we're quite good at identifying what we don't want, but we're not so good at identifying what we do. Another exercise you can actually do is just think about in the past, when were the times in your work life that you actually felt a sense of fulfillment and satisfaction and almost draw um, visually a little road, you know, on your pad and sort of make little marks along the way. It might have been a particular person you were working with or a particular project. It might have been a particular location. You know, it could be all manner of things. And see if you can see any patterns within that in terms of what you're learning about yourself. Um, I learned that I love to write and it took me a long time to realise that. But I was writing a lot of um, marketing presentations and I realised that whenever I was writing these marketing presentations, I was kind of entering into a what we would call a state of flow. You know, I was kind of forgetting all sense of time. I was feeling really immersed, really energized. Wonderful. Yeah, yeah, it's a lovely feeling if you can have that. And I think that's another a great indicator is even if, um, you know, obviously writing presentations is not the same as writing books, which is what, you know, what I've ended up sort of doing as well as working because I do have a, a sort of a part time role as well. Um, that was the kind of little hint at what I wanted to wanted to sort of do full time if I could. And again, really, if you can, I, I love talking to other people about their jobs. I'm very curious. And I think anyone that you meet, be it a friend, another mum, you know, a family member, give them a little, you know, chat a bit about what they do day to day and sort of keep an open mind. Um, we will be working for longer. So I know an awful lot of people now who are my age, you know, I'm 49, who are changing roles. Um, and I think it's a it's a really liberating feeling to suddenly feel that kind of possibility of being able to do other things. And 
I wish that, you know, you can finally say, okay, this is the next chapter. I'm ready to kind of embrace it. You know, I'm not being unrealistic because I know that many people, certainly with the economy as it is right now, have to work for money, but start to make a plan B, you know, start to think about what am I going to try and move towards? And I'm a big believer that if you're stuck in a job that you're not enjoying at the moment, if you're working on what your future plan might be, sort of maybe sending out a couple of speculative kind of job applications, it will make you feel so much better because you'll feel as if you're the one in the driving seat again and you're not being just carried away on this kind of aimless, you know, stagnation almost. Yes. On the flip side, though, do we have to love what we do? Can that in itself just feel like another pressure? You know, is it more about finding work that fits into a wider lifestyle that that makes us happy and satisfied? I think that's such an interesting question, Liz, because I really I feel mixed about it. I I feel like there's often things that you can love within a job. But like anything, the notion of the kind of the dream job, just as if, you know, if we said like um, the dream relationship, you know, maybe when we were little kids and we saw Disney films, we believed that there was a partner who existed out there who was perfect at all times or the perfect parent. Those are all very unhelpful narratives. I think within any job, and I've spoken to so many women, you know, women who are influencers, women who are writers, women who work in marketing, women who work in a charity shop, you know, all range of different kind of occupations. They all have days where they don't like it. You know, they all have days where there's somebody in the office who said something critical and it's got on their nerves or they just can't face getting up and going into work. I think it's it's unhelpful for us to be continually striving for something that is an ideal. So whilst I don't want to be depressing because I don't want to, you know, I, I don't want to say you won't find something that you, you enjoy. I just always think you might nudge yourself towards something that you enjoy a little bit more. <laughs> you know, that's kind of mm. more more helpful. And certainly with me, I've changed jobs quite a lot. Funnily enough, since I sort of got into my mid 40s and my sort of relationship with work now, I think, has become more flexible in the fact that I've, I sort of think I will try very hard to make this role work. But I also think if I can't make it work and I haven't given it my best and, and for wh- whatever reason it's not working for me, I'm open to moving, you know. And I think that that is something you only get, actually, through giving an awful lot of positive self-talk to yourself because... yeah. I've noticed right at the beginning of the podcast, you mentioned about a period of time where you lost sort of um, self-confidence. And I feel at the moment I'm sort of, I suppose I'm in perimenopause, straight menopause. And and I still have those days where I have to absolutely get my big girl pants out and pull them on. And, and give myself a good talking to, you know. Yeah. So are, are we talking as much about the way that we're working as much as what the work itself is? You know, for example, changing conversations that we have with ourselves and others about maybe our hours or our, our place, our location of work. Yes. I, th- I mean, I think that's important. I think it's kind of what you're actually doing and it's also how it fits in around your life. And I think sometimes there'll be times in your life where you may have one thing you may be doing something that you really enjoy so say I really enjoy writing unfortunately financially it doesn't support me I'm the breadwinner in our family and I've got two children so I can't I can't throw myself into a writing career full time but that is I have identified as the thing that I kind of enjoy the most I also enjoy work the job that I have at the moment which is a marketing role and that offers me lots of flexibility and a great team and you know I really I look for there's lots of positive aspects of it so I think mm. it is we have to sort of think about the different things that we want to do at different times in our lives and and just be realistic I I I get sort of really worried when and certainly I try and be very transparent about it because I have written quite a few books and I've had podcasts and people will say, oh, it's amazing that you've achieved this this dream. You know, you're sort of living the dream. And I'm like, look, look under the surface of it. Yeah, and right. and you'll yes. see that actually I'm I'm still work, you know, I'm working to support, you know, a family. Let me be completely transparent here and, and let you know that because I don't want you to think that I kind of waft around in this idealized kind of yes. world. And and that's another thing I talk about in the book is that obviously since social media has kind of come to pass, 
we've become much more conscious of what other people are doing and we tend to sort of idealize what they're doing and that that includes you know professionally sort of idealizing it and perhaps not thinking too much about what's going on behind the surface and what are the compromises perhaps that are being made you know like in order to be a ceo of a business you do have to make big compromises and i think as women it's and men i mean it's not just women all of us need to be transparent about the steps that we've had to take the things we've had to say no to in order to get a certain level of success um because yeah otherwise it's quite dangerous i think that's a really interesting point so would you think then that we need to be redefining what success looks like and taking a good look at what we're really valuing here you know both more generally in society but also as individuals for ourselves i mean definitely i mean i've had a real i think sort of all of us post pandemic we're all doing that reassessment you know we're all thinking sure what does success mean to me I was in a position where, you know, being a managing partner, I had all the material success I could kind of wish for, but I I wasn't, I was deeply unhappy, you know, and I, I, I would argue that you always need to have your kind of, your baselines covered, you know, it's, it's stupid and idealistic to say that, you, you know, you need to be able to pay your bills and you need to not worry too much about money, you need to be in that position ideally. I have a particular kind of definition of success, which I think fits in very well with the narratives that that you talk about on your podcast, which is I have to feel healthy, <laughs> you know, physically healthy. That's like my number one priority. And I had an experience last year where I ended up going to A&E. It was kind of on a Saturday morning and oh, no. I went in and, and basically I had what I can only describe as a whole myriad of symptoms, which I now reflect might have been sort of perimenopause. It was kind of, it was kind of a, a mixture of I had high anxiety, I had high blood pressure, I was feeling really sort of like, um, you know, I, I was catastrophizing a lot. I was probably having a bit of a panic attack, and it was. I went into to the to the A and E, and I hate to take up their time, but they, you know, I was, I sat in there, and he said to me, he said, "You are really, really stressed." You know, he said, "You are very, very stressed," and he said, "You know, I can see that in you, and even in the way that you're you're kind of moving, and the way that you're speaking." You know, I was obviously speaking very quickly. I was trying to explain myself, and I, it, it's it's odd, but even having that kind of encounter with someone from the outside world you know, saying this is what's going on with you and you need to take steps now because as we get older, living a very highly stressful kind of life, we can probably navigate that in our 20s with not too many kind of health implications. But as we get into our 40s and 50s, if you if you don't make health or, or certainly taking care of your mental and physical well-being a priority, then it's going to catch you out. And so a lot of the tools that I've put in the book are really taken from I'm a massive consumer of, of self-help books. I absolutely love them. And so I, I've put in lots of breathing exercises, you know, meditation exercises, grounding exercises, very simple things like just going for a walk outside anything really that is taking care of your physical and mental well-being is going to help you with your work life these things are not separate they're all intrinsically linked together aren't they they certainly are i'm just interested on that one point about the a&e experience did your doctor happen to mention estrogen at all you know what they didn't at all and i have actually started taking hrt and i mean that's a whole other conversation but yeah yeah um, it's interesting isn't it because for so many women i think they'll be listening to this saying yes that's me and it's just, uh, you know, that the, the medics still need, I think, interestingly, even in A&E to be putting that on their checklist. I know. And the, and the problem is it has such a, an enormous impact on your life, but also on your on your work. Because if we think back to, you know, if we have this kind of belief that we can achieve things and we believe good things about ourselves, we really have got a head start. But the minute that physically you start to feel, you know, very bad and you're you're tired you're stressed you may be experiencing some of these sort of heart palpitations then it's very hard to then keep that positive narrative going and so I was talking at the time I had a I was working in another job and and actually my employer at the time was luckily very understanding and I did say to her I said you know I think I am perimenopausal I, I certainly feel some very frightening feelings right now which I haven't had before and she said, look, you know, you, you take some time off if you need to. Um, and they were quite a forward thinking company. But I think so many women, not only are they sort of 
navigating all these other big societal issues that we're hearing about, they're also just these hormonal changes, which actually make it, I think it's almost like trying to run a race with kind of like a load of big heavy bag on your back, you know. It's yeah, kind of, completely. It's quite completely disabling. Right. And I think we probably need to acknowledge actually that in any job, even one that we absolutely adore, there are going to be days when we feel more stressful, things are overwhelming. How have you learned to cope with your work-related anxieties? Does it come back to these techniques you were talking about, like breathing and grounding? Yes, I mean, it really does. And I still, I would love to say that I have always stayed on top of it, but I do have particular sort of techniques. One of them, funnily enough, I was reading a book called The Worry Trick, is actually, you know, when we have that voice where sort of everything's going wrong, I've made a mistake, you know, my boss is is obviously going to judge me, I've, I'm doing everything wrong, this always happens to me, those kind of voices start whirling around and the anxiety comes. I actually sometimes make a little song to myself, um, which is one of the pieces of advice in, in this book, which is kind of like, so you almost sort of say, I'm feeling really worried today, everything's on top of me, you know, I'm, I'm really feeling all those heart palpitations. And what happens, that yes. sounds absolutely ridiculous, but the only thing I would say is that it almost it, it takes you out of your head for a moment and you're kind of like almost seeing yourself in the third person and you're kind of you're almost going oh okay look, this is actually a bit ridiculous um, and I think I'm a big I mean I, I do a lot of stuff with humor you know in my own life in my own writing you know on my social media humor oh my goodness I mean if if you're I'm not trying to belittle, you know, when you're going through a crisis, but if you've got a good friend who you can WhatsApp and or talk to or yes. can share just a few words with or can just have a rant at for five minutes, I think that's that's some of the best therapy. I think it's very easy, isn't it, to say, oh, just have a big laugh. But I think if we can acknowledge that that is a tool, just that is a tool that will make us feel better. And almost, I think when we're feeling really desperate, keep a list. When you're feeling on top of things, keep a list of the things that really do make you feel good, the simple things, and go back to that list. And it's almost like, okay, I can see I'm a bit out of balance. It's because I haven't seen any friends. It's because I haven't been eating properly. It's because I haven't been for a walk outside because these are all things that make me feel better. I absolutely love a hot bath. And actually one of the most simple kind of recommendations is I... I have a really nice shower gel. And if I'm having a shower in the morning, I just put whatever the shower gel or, or you know, on, onto the flannel and put the flannel on my face and inhale. I'm a big, I actually, I was talking to someone because my, my youngest is three years old and she was going through a phase of tantrums and I was having perimenopausal tantrums. So it was a very bad combo <laughs> oh, no. um, indeed. And I was sort of having these, these really bad rages. And she said, just try in those moments to try some aromatherapy oil in the palm of your hands, rub them together and just put it over your, your nose and mouth and inhale. And actually in that moment, again, it's about getting out of the head and out of that kind of rapid kind of fight or flight response and just dialing it down. And I, I think once you discover two or three tools, experiment a bit. You can utilize them at work. I mean, I, I always take an aromatherapy oil into work and I'll sometimes just go into the toilet and just dab a little bit on my pulse points. Oh, brilliant. And inhale. Yeah. It just take, puts you in a different place, doesn't it? Just shifts you it, out it, it of does. the here and now into something a little bit yeah, different. Yeah, it's just sort of space. into a more sensory world. And I suppose the other thing that um, I absolutely love is kind of and listening to a podcast. So I'm a big fan of, you know, I, I listen to your podcast. I listen to other podcasts where on my way into work, I think all too often what we might do is we think, oh my God, I've got a very hectic day ahead. I've got too much on. I'm never going to do it. You know, I've really made a big mess with that. You might be telling yourself all of these things. Pick a podcast, which is is giving you some new information, some new advice. There's so many, you know, great ones or, or, or a humorous one, or if you're a crime fan, and actually, that will just, again, switch your brain into a different mode and stop you from that sort of negative chatter, I guess. Brilliant stuff. Well, stay with us because after the break, I want to look a bit more closely at the specific ways that ageing can have an effect on our relationship with our work. Hey, 
everyone, it's Jen and Jess from the beauty podcast, Fat Mascara, here to talk about Sol de Janeiro. So many of the beauty experts we interview on our show say that the key to great skin is to treat every inch of your body with the same attention you give your face. One of our favorite ways to do that is with Sol de Janeiro's Beja Flor Elastic Cream, a rich body cream that's clinically proven to boost collagen and has been shown to improve skin crepiness on the chest in just two weeks. Plus, it's scented with Sol de Janeiro's Charosta 68 fragrance. Sol de Janeiro is offering you 10% off your first order on soldejanero.com and free shipping with the code ACAS10. That's S-O-L-D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O, soldejanero.com, and use the code ACAS10 for 10% off. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly eBay gets it, so look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Now, Anarchy, you've mentioned that you're perimenopausal and I know that for you that's meant one minute you're feeling mega confident and ready to face the world with a lot of conviction and the next minute you're a bit of a nervous puddle on the floor. And I suspect that a lot of women listening will recognise that pattern. So let's talk a little bit about confidence. Why and how are women in midlife underselling themselves and how do we even begin to change that? Um, It's such an interesting question. I think... One of the things that we tend to do, and especially this is in particular if we've had a career break, perhaps had children, perhaps taken a role that was, um, you know, sort of gone down a couple of rungs in in whatever way we want to define that in order to be able to have flexibility. One of the big things that we do is, again, we make this list of things that we can't do. So when I talk to other, other sort of women who want to work at the moment, but are too scared to go back into the workplace, they'll often say, you know, I can't do this. I, I don't understand the technology anymore. Everything's moved ahead at such a pace. I think some of the other things you'll hear is kind of, you know, this perception that everyone's younger than you. Everyone is more on the ball than you and and, and sort of quicker to react and respond. I um I told myself quite a few of these, these sort of narratives. And I think it's interesting because I think what we don't acknowledge is that we have a massive amount of experience and that experience is a real asset to any employer. It's such an asset. And I think we have to tell ourselves that all the other bits and bobs, you know, the fact that perhaps you're not familiar with a particular platform that they use in order to share projects or, you know, you're not familiar with um, whatever, you know, all this kind of technological stuff. There are so many different ways that people communicate with one another now. You can learn that, you know, you can definitely pick that up. But what you have is all those different occasions where you've had to navigate tricky situations, not just in your work life, but in your personal life too. You know, you've had to try and negotiate with a toddler, you know, to try and get them to to eat something vaguely healthy or, you know, to put mm. on their tights in the morning because it's it's cold outside. All of those skills are massively important. And I think we forget that. And again, it's that case of you need to remind yourself of all of the things that you've done in the past. And that's and take it as a 
as a broad, not just in your career, in your in your broader life. With with things like technology, it is a it is a continually evolving thing. And I am still a bit scared of it at times because I sometimes I'll think, oh my goodness, I can't use you know, whatever platform we're using at the moment to share information, I can't, I can't use it. Google is kind of your friend. I, I don't like using Google when it's to do with kind of medical complaints because that's very dangerous. But I think if you if you can't do something, Google it first and see if you can. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? The information out there. Yeah. I, I do all my tech questions, you know, how to change a printer cartridge, yes. how to upload something onto Instagram. If you just ask a search engine, it, the information is there, which is very empowering. It is. And I think that's that's a massive leap sort of forward for us. And the other thing I sort of argue, which is something that I did quite early on, was that I would find a, a younger sort of mentor. So find somebody who you or it doesn't it doesn't actually age doesn't necessarily come into it, but acknowledge that maybe there's somebody who has the skills that you lack team up with them and support one another. So, you know, you can offer whatever the skills are that you have. So say if you're very good at, I find that with me through the years, I've probably become quite good at kind of, I suppose, networking a bit or knowing how to phrase things in emails, um, maybe dialing down some of the heat if things are getting a little bit kind of inflammatory, you know, and things things have gone wrong. Mm. Use, you know, say, look, you know, let's do a bit of a trade here. You can help me with this particular thing that I'm not very good at. And I can help coach you a bit into some of the things with some of the things that I've learned. Um, I think that's that's really important. I, I think we've we've touched on the fact that acknowledge also that perimenopause and menopause is a really tricky time. And so I would argue for me, I mean, I'm you know, my job is pretty full on and demanding, but I think for some people, they will, if they have the liberty to do that, obviously, because we can't always choose exactly where we're going to be at particular times. It may be a time to think, do you know what? I don't want to be going full throttle at the moment. Do you know what I mean? I, I can't, I, I want to spend a little, until I come out, hopefully come out the other side, I want to be in something that I enjoy, is fairly flexible, but is not going to be requiring so much input that I'm going to be overwhelmed because I acknowledge that this is a tricky time for me sort of physically and mentally. Yeah really interesting about those challenging times and I suspect that fear actually plays a big part in a lot of this you know the fear of failure fear of trying new things and and failing it's all a bit kind of better the devil you know you know you might be aware that you're miserable but you've been so ground down by a toxic work culture that you don't actually have the energy or the confidence to make a change. No, and I think that's that's so true. That kind of, unfortunately, if we already are coming from a place where we have these narratives within ourselves, where we're sort of this inner critic, and then the inner critic is kind of manifested as a person, um, and we're then triggered, it, it's very difficult to kind of snap out of that you know and I've been in those situations too where you can't see the wood for the trees you know you're kind of like you're kind of like oh I I don't have any self-belief left I haven't got any energy left that is a very difficult place to be in again I would say the same thing use self-care tools as much as you can to try and regain some sense of perspective really up the ante on anything that makes you improves your confidence and and belief in yourself If you've got a friend, and we all have that friend, hopefully, who is your supporter, who is the one that helps you retain a sense of perspective, you know, really say, can I can I sit and have a chat with you? Because I'm really struggling at the moment. I'm sort of I'm having this experience at work and I'm believing some of the things about myself that this person's telling me or that this organization is telling me. You really need to sort of employ quite dramatic tactics I feel to kind of get yourself out of that situation unfortunately I feel like work culture is really kind of ramped up and with with COVID in particular I think work and technology together sort of moved us to a state where sometimes the expectations were that we were working all of the time and I think this is the time now where we need to set some boundaries down because you know, not just for us in our kind of particular age group, but for, you know, our children and grandchildren as well, because I just don't think it's healthy to be working at a very, very high intensity all the time and not ever taking any time for yourself 
or time yeah. for others. I think that women are generally the emotional shock absorbers, if you like, in society, especially at the time in midlife when they might be caring for older parents as well as for younger children, etc. So how can we learn then when to say no and how to say no in order to combat this overwhelm and the burnout? Yes, I mean, it's interesting. I actually, there's a chapter in there around kind of um, boundaries and again, it's kind of about thinking quite logically and pragmatically about what's okay and what's not okay. And, you know, again, list it out. What's what's not, you know, somebody contacting me on a Friday night, that that's not okay, you know, but someone no. contacting me on a, on a Thursday, because that's a working day at 5 p.m., that that is okay. And sort of write those things down that, that your own manifesto almost of what you, right. what you, what you will and won't do in terms of your kind of work hours. And then I would argue, whenever you approach someone that you're working with, start with the positive. So start with the kind of, do you know what? I, you know, I'm really up for for doing that particular thing, and I'll definitely get to it on Thursday when I'm back in the office, and looking forward to seeing you then. You know, whatever it is, find a way right. of asserting those boundaries. One of the things I talk about, and I'm a really bad example of this is that don't set the expectation. So if someone sends you an email and you reply within two minutes, you've just set the expectation then that that's the kind of person that you are. Right. And so that basically so people go, oh, right, so Liz Liz replies to an email in two minutes. So if she doesn't reply to an email in two minutes, then I'm going to be disappointed, you know. So I think you have to really be quite sort of, and I think as we get older, hopefully we start to feel more confident in what we we certainly know inside what we want and what we don't want hopefully and being able to assert that um the other big issue is just manage your technology keep your phone mm-hmm. away from your bed keep it downstairs definitely um, yes fight the tendency Buy an alarm clock don't don't use the the phone as a oh as a, my alarm goodness because we, we we all do that don't we we all do so yeah. bad yeah Interesting about having that confidence to be assertive and to set boundaries during working life. What about for those of us who've maybe had a career break? You know, maybe we've taken time out to look after our family or people around us and we're going back into the workplace. How how best can we find confidence again after a break? Mm, I think it's re- it's tricky because it's kind of that time where you've almost forgotten your work personality. You know, you kind of come back and you're like, who am I? You know, what's yes. what's going on? How do who I is this person? How do I do this? <laughs> Certainly, I'm a big sort of fan of finding <laughs> identifying other parents, you know, within an organization if you're working in that kind of structure, because I think they'll mm. often provide a sense of kind of common shared kind of experiences. And you can have even just the fact that you can say, oh, do you know what? I was woken up, you know, four or five times last night and I'm knackered, you know, and I've had to come in today, a little bit of a shoulder to cry on. I think that really helps. Be kind to yourself. Don't expect that suddenly you're going to go in and you're going to start, you know, smashing it. I mean, that's another word I absolutely hate, but, you know, just the whole idea that you're suddenly (laughs) going to, you know, you're going to be accelerating, you're going to be firing on all cylinders. I think, again, just remember softly, softly. So you'll, you'll go in you'll start to hopefully feel a little bit more confident each day, list the things that you're doing well, try and shove that blooming inner critic and kick, you know, kick them up the bum and tell them to go away. You don't need them, thanks, mm. at the moment. Um, and and you will start to remember who that work person was, you know, again. Um, I think that's it, it is quite a challenge, but you, you can do it. I have heard that reinforcing positive affirmations literally out loud is the brain recognizes it in a different way than if we're just thinking it. So, for example, you could be in the bathroom you know, on your own. It might feel a bit mad looking at yourself in the mirror and you can say, you know, Liz, you've really got this. You're, you know, I'm so proud that you're actually going back into this quite tricky situation, but I am so there for you. You know, you you are going to crack it and, and just take strength in that kind of the words that you would say to a really good friend to encourage them and that there is something the brain recognises when it hears it, even if it's you're saying it to yourself, that mm. really does physically give you a boost. I, I really believe that. I, I love there's an exercise. Um, Mel Robbins, who's like an American sort of self-help 
she wouldn't call herself probably a motivational speaker, but she does a podcast, which is, again, is a good one to listen to on your way to work if you're not listening to your podcast. Is um, <laughs> It's just the phrase that when you're feeling anxious, you kind of put your hand on your heart and you just say, I'm okay, I'm safe, I am loved. And again, it's a very reassuring tone. It's the kind of thing you'd probably say to your kid if they were just about to go up on assembly, you know, and and talk on stage. You say, look, you're going to be great. You're really going to be good. We all want you you to do well. Um, Mm. And so try and mirror that kind of tonality rather than going, oh, my goodness, you're totally going to mess this up. You know, you're going to make a complete, you know, it's going to be a disaster. Just check that voice. Another technique is actually to give that voice a name. Um, You know, just, just say, you know, call them maud and say maud just bugger off you know i'm not listening to you today maud i'm i'm had enough of you going on and haranguing me all day you know right um yeah again it's a bit of humor creeping in um but i think it helps humor definitely and then i think moving on from from working and the working world i think as we've established our priorities do ebb and flow over time and perhaps as we age we're left with a little more time to fill growing up children might have left home for example and we find ourselves with pockets of time that could be filled with all sorts of exciting passions that we've never felt we can explore just for the fun of it maybe before what role does joy and creativity just for the simple sake of it play I think it's massive I mean I I absolutely I mean it's funny because I sort of think about the future and because I did have children quite late I don't know if I will ever really have that time <laughs> but I did have you know I, I probably will at some you point. will do will. I'm 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 10 years on from you and my children are wonderful grown up still challenging and I do still have a relatively young one as well Oh, but good. It, it does it does change and and actually my joy and creativity I think comes from doing things with them that I do with them as young adults that I couldn't do when they were younger and more dependent yes that makes sense I think um absolutely I mean now is the time if you are you know if you do have those pockets of time now is the time to really just say you know those little niggles I've had in my head like what oh I'd love to try that or I'd love to do that or you know just just do it because you know I always thought I had lots of narratives funnily enough you know one of the things I always said that I wouldn't do and I know it's turned into a bit of a cliche now is the kind of outdoor swimming thing but I always said you know <gasps> I, I wouldn't you know I can't do that I can't go into like a, a river and, and then funnily enough when I was doing a bit of publicity for my last book they said they wanted to take a photo of me in a river you know they said you know you've mentioned out- really yeah you've mentioned outdoor swimming so you do do outdoor swimming and I was like no I've mm-hmm. never I actually was just telling a big fib I've never actually done outdoor swimming it's something I've always <laughs> wanted to do I almost manifested it really because I sort of said it was what I wanted to do and I did I did try it and it's still on my list and I think actually all of those things sort of generally what stops us from becoming old is a very kind of rigid mind. You know, if we have that rigid mindset, I don't do this. I'm the kind of person who doesn't do that. I don't try that. You know, I don't eat that. I don't go there. I don't like that person. Um, That makes us old in terms of, you know, our mindset. I think what keeps us kind of growing is that we go, do you know what? I might just like that. So I might try it. You know, I, I might just order something different today. I might just go and talk to that person, even though they've walked in and I've kind of made this assumption that I won't like them. I might just try that thing. And I think that's that is such an exciting sort of time, really, to think about, you know, instead of closing all of our options down, thinking about what's possible instead. I love that. That is such a fantastically positive and empowering note to end on. Anarchy, thank you so much and huge congrats and very best of luck with The Big Quit. It's a really good read. Thank you so much, Liz. I've really enjoyed it. Well, as Anarchy writes in her book, we are powerful on some days and tired on others. And that is absolutely okay. Anarchy, a real pleasure to have chatted with you. Thank you. And on the topic of confidence, I suggest that you listen back to the episode with Shakela Forbes-Bell, if you haven't already. She's a brilliant fashion psychologist who explained so well the effect our clothes can have on our conviction. If you'd like to get in touch, I am at Liz Earl Me. 
and at Liz Earle Wellbeing on social media. And that's exactly what Pamela did after listening to our World Menopause Day special episode with Dr Rebecca Lewis, all about HRT. She wrote to say... I started HRT six months ago, aged 63, under prescription from a UK menopause specialist and it has been life-changing. I'm living most of the year in Spain, where some of my contemporaries have recently been given an HRT pellet inserted under their skin, containing three hormones custom-made for them based on comprehensive blood tests and reviewed and replaced every six months. Interesting. I do know that in Spain you can go and get HRT from your local chemist without having to get a doctor's prescription first. And in fact, you know, many women went to Spain to do just that during the recent HRT shortages. I would just add to Pamela's comment that it is important to make sure that any HRT you do take is fully regulated. Now that means it's past stringent safety and efficacy tests. And the problem with compounded bioidentical hormones, for example, is that they may not have been tested and that the progesterone part, for example, may not provide enough protection for something serious like uterine cancer, which is why it's so important to always take progesterone alongside oestrogen if you have a womb. Well, that's it from me. Do make sure that you are following the podcast so you don't miss any future episodes like next week's, where we'll be learning all about tapping, which can be used to help unlock our potential. Very appropriate after today's chat, and it can help free us from self-defeating patterns of behaviour. Loving the sound of that already. Well, thanks so much for listening. Until the next time, go well. Bye-bye. The Liz Earle Wellbeing Show is presented by me, Liz Earle, and is produced by Anushka Tate for Fresh Air Production, with additional production support from Ellie Smith. Hey everyone, it's Jen and Jess from the beauty podcast Fat Mascara, here to talk about Sol de Janeiro. So many of the beauty experts we interview on our show say that the key to great skin is to treat every inch of your body with the same attention you give your face. One of our favorite ways to do that is with Sol de Janeiro's Beja Flor Elastic Cream, a rich body cream that's clinically proven to boost collagen and has been shown to improve skin crepiness on the chest in just two weeks. Plus, it's scented with Sol de Janeiro's Charosta 68 fragrance. Sol de Janeiro is offering you 10% off your first order on soldejanero.com and free shipping with the code ACAS10. That's S-O L-D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O soldajanero.com and use the code ACAS10 for 10% off. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.